0: Hello and welcome to the Business of Agriculture podcast. I'm your host, Damian Mason. We get together right here every week and discuss issues impacting the industry of food, fuel, fiber, and farming. It's the Business of Agriculture, and we have a great show for you today. As always, this guy, this guy, you might have seen him if you keep up on social media, but even if you don't, it doesn't matter because you need to know this guy, and that's why I've got him on here right now. This guy is Jason Mock. He's an Indiana farm guy, but he's a hell of a lot more than that. He's kind of a business guy, got a marketing background. He's, he's young enough to still try new things, old enough to have some wisdom. That's that, that interesting purgatory where this, where this interesting uh, uh, business uh, is going. So he does intercropping. He uses manure. He calls his thing uh, relay cropping. And I called it alternative farming, which seems like a lot of this sort of is regenerative agriculture, which is the new buzzword by people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. So welcome to the show, Jason Mock. Thanks for having me. Uh, I found you because of a mutual acquaintance, if I'm not mistaken, a guy that's a manure guy who's been on this episode before named Jerry. Jeremy Sanford. Is that how I found you? Yes, yes. <clears throat> okay. So Jer- Jeremy Sanford was a guest on the podcast. He works for GIA or GEA or GIA, however you want to say it. They're a uh, dairy equipment and manure management and handling company. And uh, Jeremy and I are, are friendly and, and he's been on my show. And then he sort of pointed you to me or you to me, me to you, something like that. And I, I started watching what you're doing. I watched you do a five minute video on social media where you talked to a corn plant that had 21 ears on it and then also you talked about the soil what's going on in the topsoil horizon and then your nutrient load so anyway let's talk about you what you do etc
1: well i guess i start with i i think backwards and, and i'm not worried about what the average person does i have become obsessed with the golden ratio and that's why i talked about this corn i'm all about the curve and i think an ag we spend so much time worrying about all the, the part of the curve that's diminishing returns. You know, this will give you three to five bushel. This will do this. This will do this. And what happens is we become insurance poor because we're so worried that everything's going to be a disaster. And you start doing that 20 or 30 times. And now all of a sudden I've got $700 in a crop. And I hope to God, I'll get a $701 back.
0: Uh, By the way, I think before we go any further, let's make sure that folks that are listening, you know, we do a lot of different things on the Business of Ag podcast. We do talk to different farmers, but this is what what I think is interesting is this guy is different. Uh, He's doing and experimenting with different things. Uh, I'm from Indiana. He's from Indiana. We grow corn and soybeans like crazy there. We grow a lot of livestock. In fact, Jason is a hog producer. He's on a contractual arrangement with Tyson. So he, he's got the manure, he's got the hogs, he's got the acres, farms about 3,000 acres in a family corporation, and then also came back into this from a business background because when he went to college, went and got a job, then his father died, and he came back into the operation as about a 30-year-old man. I want to give you that background that I know about, Jason, mm-hmm. so that you now can understand where he's coming from. So you come back into the operation. Before we get into the golden ratio, you're 30 years old, and tell me how that, what, what, what transpired from there
1: well it just sucked uh, and there's no way about it cancer sucks and uh you know i for some reason i thought after college i wanted to go to go to city and i was gonna you know you, you start looking for jobs and the insurance people are like you know you, you get all these people on the books and you can retire early and i kind of like that idea uh, but i just hated the town i wanted my hands dirty so i transitioned from sales, uh, to a landscape contracting. But I learned the paperwork, how to get people on paper, how to sell. And I, I thought reverse there instead of advertising and broadcasting, I'm all about direct selling and, and actually going and doing work, the specific work that I want. So anyway, I got that going. We built it up to about a half a million dollar revenue, did that for about five years, but we were kind of pruning and getting better and better and better customers. And it was pretty, pretty good. And, uh, you know, that happened with dad, I was kind of helping on the farm here and there and, and helping him load out pigs and with pancreatic cancer, it doesn't take long. He went, you know, within five months, we went from finding out to him being, you know, down to the last few days and trying to teach me how to do all his jobs. And, uh, so at that point I wanted to amass as much knowledge as possible. I was taking it in the hefty brothers and all this stuff. And to me, farming didn't make much sense because with landscaping, I felt like I had control. So basically I had, you know, a couple hundred acres of turf uh, in beds. And if I wanted to control that, I needed a canopy. I needed tall, thick grass. I needed mulch. And that made no weeds and I could make it look pretty and all this stuff. So I come to the farm and everything's brown. And that thought process was we just use tillage, clean, clean slate, do one thing. And that thing better pay all the bills. And I was always fascinated with uh, not doing one thing. If I signed a contract, I always wanted to do it differently than the previous contract to kind of learn and that thought process kind of transpired to the farm is how we can how can we get multiple entities into that um mindset and it all kind of work together instead of trying to solve each problem with some product that somebody's trying to sell us
0: Okay. So here's, what's uh, neat. I did. I was a landscaper at one point in my life. Also, actually a couple different points in my life. And uh, I I get that. So you're coming back into this thing. And the great aspect is, and I tell everybody you want to be successful and you want to have longevity with your operation. Don't let your kids uh, be there all the time, make them go away and then come back. So they see different stuff you brought back okay, the business angle, and then also the landscaping angle, and then the maybe we should look at things differently angle. There you are, you're 30 some years old, and now you've got a role in the farming operation. And you say, all right, looks like what we do the same every year, we go out here, we plant, we harvest, we till it up, do it again next year. Then what? You said then then what'd you decide to do? What did intercropping change? Well, intercropping is a a new word for all these people that are saying what the hell are they talking about? All right, tell me about your first experiment and and how it went and what you call it.
1: So it all started with with the weed pressure that I was seeing. So when we're applying manure, we we really get high nitrogen soil. So in the wintertime, it all turns to hen bit. You can till it and then it's green, and then we're fighting these weeds. And I remember from the landscaping, if, if I was under canopy, I could control it and I see all the energy in the manure because I was walking through the pigs every day. And when I took a shower, I smelled like cog shit, yep. you know, it was strong. And I thought if I actually ran the screen pass and through cover crop seeds and, and wheat, I could actually beat the weeds to their spot. And it kind of took several years to kind of figure out and I'd made a lot of mistakes. And finally came to the point where we all have these finite resources. We got to find these spectrums on different parts of the management. And then that's kind of where this fractal thinking is coming. Thinking the curve. I know I talk here and there and there, but I figured out that we could get a percentage of the yield with an extremely cut rate of both fertilizer and seed. And it's, it's taking multiple entities and, and increasing the margins that made the system profitable. That really got me excited about it. Now, are we talking about, okay, you, you got all this manure, so you're always using
0: the manure because you've got, what, 12,000 hogs uh, or something mm-hmm. like that with your con- contract with Tyson. So you, you're getting the manure and you're using it, and you're saying, yeah, we're getting really good uh, fertility in the soils but then we end up with this weed problem because we're putting the manure on after the crop comes off and then there's still enough season to bring in what they call the late annuals or the winter annuals. Yeah. I think they are. Mm-hmm. We're applying
1: manure nine months before the crop uptakes it. Mm-hmm. So I did, a, I did an analysis test, something we never did, and I did soil tests when I came to the farm. Our manure was worth about $350,000. And our soil test was so high that our soils did not need fertilizer probably for the rest of my life, my phosphorus. So why we were taking this $350,000 and applying it to ground that didn't need it. Mm -hmm. So immediately there was a problem because I could see our situation and everybody else's. So I've tried, been trying to solve the same problem and I I've done good on the agronomy, but then you got to start calculating the neighbors, which hate the manure there's liability and moving it. Um, so that's kind of where the agronomy came. And what I figured out was, is I could ban that manure at a reduced rate and I could trigger crops to do specific things. And then I could put crops in there that would not know that they're sharing the same bunk bed. So in essence, you're tricking two crops to produce more and they produce at two different ends of the spectrum seasons. So collectively, It kind of works together. So instead of me spending $500 to produce a corn crop and seed and herbicide, I could put $10 for the weed seed and $50 for the bean seed and produce more revenue, but have two or $300 less cost. So you add revenue, lower your costs. I'm not going to sell the system over and over again, it's all about not spending money and getting more revenue. No, I think that's cool. So
0: back to the manure usage. Yeah. And and there's probably people that listen to this that really get it. And there's probably people that say, I'm not sure I understand. Okay. Manure, extremely high in phosphates. And and then we now have an issue with too much phosphorus. So let's just real quickly, you said, gosh, we've got $350,000 of manure. What you're saying is all those pigs produce all this manure that has so much fertilization value, but you were actually putting it where it wasn't even needed because it was the same fields that you were always going to. Is that the idea? Exactly. And so, so
1: to be able to logistically move it, we need to lower a rate. So this is a bad analogy, but imagine a line of cocaine. That's basically what I was doing with this manure instead of broadcasting in nine months. Hey, that's not a, that's not a bad analogy. It's a good analogy. Losing all of your energy place it at the same time that you seed wheat. So the wheat actually sucks up that Colombian Bam Bam and changes its growth habit. And then event, what happens is, is, that after it manipulates the plant, the plant can receive enough sunlight because it's in wide rows that each one turns into a grain head. So instead of putting three hundred dollars in a wheat crop, you actually have a net negative. So the problem is we custom dragline it out for 10 cents a gallon. But if I'm applying five thousand gallons to ground that doesn't need it, and I can do it myself for 15 and put $10 worth of weed seed, I'm at a net negative cost of twenty dollars an acre if that gives me two or $300 contribution margin and I raise higher soybeans and I could go on and on about pruning and all this stuff. But you got to think everything's context. And and part of the problem of scalability of this is a lot of people don't have the exact context that I have. Uh, But you got to look at everybody's situation a little bit differently. And for us, it has seemed to work, but I've kind of been recently looking at other ways because Uh, in our area, our manure isn't saturated. We're one of the only barns in the County, but you get a little bit West and more up your way in Huntington. And they're, you know, in Southern Wells County, there's over 60 quads now. I know, I know a bunch of those guys. I I, I used to own
0: a farm in Southern Wells County, Indiana, and I know a bunch of those people. That's why I'm familiar with the the quad barns in there. So you're saying that you don't have a problem with too much manure and too tight of an area. What you have is you've got uh, the right amount. It's just that now you want to get that manure down the road to a different field. Exactly. We have a distribution problem
1: with everything.
0: Okay, so what are you doing?
1: Well, that's the thing. If we can band it, instead of putting six, we put two, then we can move it down the road, and we don't need to take them
0: up. Explain that, six versus two, two versus six. Explain that.
1: 6,000 gallons an acre versus 2,000. So that's the lowest the custom drag line guy will put down is 6,000. And when you take the economics, if you can do it just in time, you're actually putting 300 units of nitrogen down, but you're losing 90% of it. So if you can uptake it a lot quicker then you can reduce your rate and you can band it. And then you can use a legume to kind of later do it. So that's, that was kind of the ideal initially is not only to help our farm, but I could go to a neighbor and I'm all about this. I kind of get kicks on the screen pass mentality. I was kind of pissed that Tyson kind of booted out, not Tyson, but the whole log, hog industry has eradicated the private farm. I mean, stuff went down to nine cents. You own the shelf space. Nine cents is good because it's a bigger margin for them. They don't have to pay the integrators. So I was thinking if I could figure out a crop system that I could use my manure and everybody else's manure, then if I had enough margins, I could pay the guy with the manure for the manure and give it to the guy that does not have manure and get in a crop share system with them. My cost of good sales is a hundred dollars instead of $300. Then I could get in that. We should probably backtrack here, Jason, for the, the
0: listener. says, what did he just talk about of 9 cents? In the 1990s, what Jason was referring to is the hog industry went through its terrible setback. And what that really did was it washed out most of what we had as a normal, private, fully um, – uh, individualized hog production system am i right in saying that jason so what happens now is most of the hogs produced in the united states of america are done so on a contractual basis where the (laughs) processors own the pigs and pay guys like mr mock here uh shelf space to raise them for him so jason's saying i can't really make a lot of money raising the pig so i at least need to get my profit out of the manure is that what i'm saying exactly and we make money
1: off the pigs but you know, right now, the, the, the futures went way up because of the, the China thing. So are they going to share that with us if their margins are four times as much? No. No. And and, and and honestly, I won't open up a bag of worms, but this is what I see with normal production commodity prices happening. Is, as we get deeper and deeper leverage, we get more rules tied to sub- subsidies. It's a game of candy land and AI comes in. and The bank has all the actuary science behind it and knows exactly where to start.
0: You're saying contractual production. I say contractual production is going to become more and more of the standards for everything. It's already happened in poultry and pork. I think it's going to happen on more things just because the capital requirements become so great. Exactly. Okay. So you're profiting, you're saying, how can I profit off the manure you've figured out this way and now explain the intercropping because you talked about intercropping and pruning. You you look, make me look calm because I'm kind of an ADHD person and you're a little bit more <laughs> hype. You're a little more hyped than me. So go ahead, intercropping and usage of manure and what you talked about banding.
1: So intercropping is all about the curve. So if you planted, let's just use corn because everybody loves to talk corn. I could plant 30,000 corn seeds and let's say it makes 200 bushels. I can plant 3,000 and probably get about a hundred bushel out of that. It's so it's extremely fractal. It's not so much about the seeds. It's about the sunshine and the water and the nutrients. It's finite. Let's just
0: go go through that. What you're doing is you're saying we're going to use the same acre and we're going to just put less seeds out there, but we're going to let them have more space because then they will produce more crop and this goes a bit counter remember i just did a speech at an agricultural conference two years ago and they're pushing the idea that corn on 15 inch rows and you're saying nope let's do the opposite let's give them more
1: space less exactly, because they think singularly their entire capital is lined up to pay all their bills with one entity where if you think time and space the the biggest value for wheat is not wheat. If I put full wheat out there and I can't plant beans until July 4th, I'm past summer solstice. I've shot myself in the foot. But if I can just rent the time and space from fall till June 28th and not block solar angles to the other crop, I can actually use it in my advantage for weed control in that time and space. So I can band herbicides. I can take a percentage of the water. So I essentially have pattern tile every five feet and then I have this pruning aspect where I can use the dead corpse of the wheat and push it down and drive light lower into the soybeans. So if I can do, I can also use it to plant the beans earlier and protect it from frost. So I'm basically using this body bag, if you will, of wheat as my manure sink to replace all these costs of production for the beans. And what was brilliant or not brilliant, but what excited me last year was I did all these trials with all these varieties and wheat and soybeans out yielded just beans by themselves because of doing this job. So So, no, you know, the, so wait, wait, so weather,
0: you, you, you go out and put wheat in the ground in uh, October or late September in Indiana, but you do it in strips.
1: Yep. And we're following corn, which is a no, no, high carbon to nitrogen ratio that won't work, son. That won't work. Right. right. But if you put the manure underneath there. And you're basically just making these, uh, these, I just call them uh, goodie strips. I don't know okay, why you, so, so here's <laughs> what happens.
0: So you, you harvest the corn in October and then you come right in and you drill wheat in strips in that corn stalks. Is that what I'm hearing? And
1: ideally, when did the manure go in? When did, at the same time. So that was, I was really batshit nuts when I did that. And I took half the cool. shanks off. So instead of, 30 inch shanks or 20s to reduce my rate. The wheat still thinks it has a ton of manure underneath it, but it's only every 60 inches. And what I found is it takes 60 inches because the wheat is going to grow like this pissed off lion, this Mufasa, and it needs the space Uh to be able to flex. And when it makes this shape, it doesn't block the solar angles to the soybeans. And then by the time the beans are like, holy shit, the wheat's over here, then we take it out of the way and prune it. And it's done these jobs of, uh, and then, you know, I could go on and on about the pruning aspect, but beans okay. really like nitrogen, but you change the beans motive. When you take the wheat out of the way, it has ample sunshine. So it no longer wants to grow vertically and it makes this pissed off soybean. All
0: right. Before you get going on that. All right. So I'm still back on the system. So you go out there in October, if corn just came off and you drill in the wheat, how are you doing it? <laughs> In strips, you know, a drill is 30 foot long. Uh, how, how are you doing this in strips?
1: So we've done it five different ways, do it different every year. Ideally, uh, we're putting a gandy box on the manure tanker itself. So once I get the capital, I would love to have a big floater that could go 15 miles an hour. It's all pre- the system works on ground speed. Yeah. So I'm basically, splattering wheat and fluid soil and we're trying to make a 20 inch strip right above the, the poop. And if, if, if 71% of the wheat seeds come, I don't give a shit.
0: So you're saying that you don't even put it in the ground. You just are actually s- sowing it
1: with liquid manure. Yeah. We're putting it above the manure. We're using the soil as a buffer. So we're trying to inject the manure about eight inches deep okay. so it doesn't volatilize. And then the wheat is just put in kind of a, imagine two closing discs. Imagine some jackass is drunk and is trying to pull a plow 15 miles an hour. All right. everywhere. So we're basically putting the wheat in a scoop till machine and we need the ground speed to get a rooster tail of soil. And we're putting that in that soil. So it's chopped up and it coddles that seed. Okay. And then you get upwelling since manure is like 92% water to germinate that. And then seven days later, when that root comes down and hits that pig shit, it's like, holy mother of God, I hit the mother load. Okay. And then it was nuts.
0: And you do that in like, they're doing that and like, what'd you say, 65 foot strips? 60 inch rows. Yeah. So that's, so, and then, and that's all wheat in a five foot, 60 inch row. And then that's started in October and then it gets up to six or eight inches. Then we go through winter dormancy and then it, we come back to April,
1: May, then what? As soon as I can physically get a tractor across the ground, I've been using a 40 20. Uh, I, I've made a planter that'll intercrop. So through time, I figured out if I plant the soybeans about 12 inches away, there's a natural algorithm that takes place. Once it warms up enough for the soybean to emerge, the wheat's going to grow at the same time and it's going to protect if it has any frost. So in, the- between, in between the wheat strips is a strip that's also 60 inches no, the, the wheat rows themselves are 60 inches on center, but yeah. they're about 15 to 20 inches wide. Okay. So you got a solar corridor, that's the money shot, that's 40 inches wide or so for the soybeans to, to live. So they'll grow with the wheat for a period of 60 to 80 days. And in that time period, the wheat is taking care of the wheat pressure. Weeds will never grow in that spot. So you can reduce your herbicide down to only 30% of the surface area. And the new light comes down there for the soybeans, and meanwhile the wheat's taking up some of the water and all that stuff. So, how wide is the bean strip again? That's changed from year to year. Last year it was twenty forty inch rows. This year it's seventeen forty threes. So wait,
0: this year it's going to be say it again
1: 1743, So there's seventeen inch twin between the sixties. So that forty three allows you to get your combine track out there, and it's a it's a road to harvest the wheat. So there's going to be 40, there's going to be 43 inches of soybeans and then,
0: and then wheat and then 43 inches of soybeans, then wheat. Is that what I'm
1: hearing? If if you plant the soybeans and just, let's just make it simpler, 20, 40, 20, 40, 20, 40. So imagine a 20 inch planter and you're taking out every third row and that 40 inches is where the wheat resides. Okay. So the wheat will grow out to that right up against that. It'll be 40 inches wide. Got it. So talking about math, you got the ground floor and then it gets wide and then it grows in a half pie. So you can get a similar surface area of wheat heads, but a ground floor that's extremely reduced. All right. So when you, you do Basically this, building plan architecture for the whole year.
0: All right. I like it. And now the person that's been saying, gosh, this guy's been, he's been throwing me a lot of information. I want to make sure that the listener understands what intercropping is. Remember, it's the business of agriculture. We're doing this to make a living. So before we get to that, how do you harvest it? And then. Tell me about your results.
1: The harvesting is fun as hell. And I hope people will uh, check out my Twitter feed on that. I got some videos, basically developed a, uh, it's called a Cutter Bar Condom. A company out of Canada really took it on and and be able to scale it called Flexi finger. And you pop it onto your draper head onto the knives and it actually pushes the soybeans down. So it's a piece of uh, plastic. And it goes out about 20 inches to get ahead of the reel. And our soybeans were potted. They're about two foot tall. And we actually made them do the limbo down to about six inches. And then they pop back up once they go underneath the combine. And so are we smashing?
0: And we're never smashing any of these soybeans? No, they like it.
1: They like a little slap.
0: Okay, because if you drive over them, they might even still come back, but if you're driving over them down the road, that's not good. So you don't drive over them, but you're, you
1: right. are knocking them down. And that's where that 40 inches comes in. So you put a 120-inch tram line, since you got 60-inch rows, and any combine that's a class 6, 8, 9 can go right down that. All right, so when you do this, uh, that's in July when you
0: harvest your wheat, uh, early July in, in our part of the world, and then those soybeans now
1: have all that space and weeds don't come into the wheat stubble that's what's awesome about the tillering and they so the wheat is going to tiller in exponentially with that energy no there's no light for weeds to grow in that specific space so the soybeans are growing at the same time and they're actually pushing it expedites canopy and they're pushing against each other Hmm. so when you prune you're laying that dead corpse that what's left down on the ground and then A week or two later, that's the time for the soybeans to really get light down low and then it stitches back shut. So there's no opportunity for weeds to grow.
0: And so now we've done this in July and uh, there's no weed problems in the soybeans. Do we have to spray the soybeans during May or June? No. Okay, and now they've got all this more light And so that's when they start putting on pod count uh, and and really filling them out in August if we get the right-
1: Really in July, yeah. July and
0: August. Okay. And so then you go out in September, October and harvest soybeans. And even though those soybeans are really only occupying half the field, you still get a tremendous yield is what you're saying.
1: We, We broke a state record last year, 108 bushel
0: beans. And that was only covering half the field with the soybean plant.
1: Yeah, but nah, I'm not picking on you, but that's, that's, my, that's what people think. But the most important metric, uh, when I talk to Sean Castile, uh, the Purdue guy, is blooming. So if I can get them to bloom 10 or 20 days ahead of time, that's three bushels a day. Uh-huh. So I, I'll take 20,000 plants blooming June 5th over your perfect field blooming June 22nd. Because it goes back to the natural deal. It's all fractal. If I make more nodes, more branches, more nodes, off branches, then I have 200 uh, reproduction points on that soybean plant. It's it's an infinite amount of, of reproduction. So it doesn't really matter with soybeans how many plants I have. It's more about the time and reproduction.
0: So here's the, the thing, that Jason. Of your 3,100 100 acres, you're, you're doing this on how many acres? A hundred Okay. So is your idea that it's more labor
1: intensive a little bit. It just takes a little bit more. No, I, could, I, I, I know how to do it across all of them. If I want, uh, my problem is I'm still young on the research thing and I change it drastically year to year. And we're getting these huge incremental gains. All right. So, so
0: do, year, you see, do you see half of your 3000 acres five years from now being done with this intercropping system?
1: Um, yeah, but there'll be different intercrops. I've, I've got, I just met with a guy from Virginia that has a, a brilliant idea that's going to blow up. It's, it's doing corn and soybeans with the same exact thought process. And it all goes back to just imagine driving in your car from Gatlinburg to Asheville, North Carolina, the bird, cro- the bird flies 20 miles but you got to drive 120 miles in your car. Right, 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 right. And all the uh, solar panels out there, that's where all these gains are. And the industry is going to hate it because we're going to take all of, a lot of these costs off. And we're replacing fertilizer with sunshine.
0: Yeah. And of course manure. So, uh, I, I like different, but difference only good if it's beneficial, clearly you're seeing, you're seeing the beneficial side with your business. Cause this is a business after all, what have, what have been the, 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 positives are less input cost. Tell me the other positives and tell me the negatives.
1: So The positives is the exposure. Um, you know, you're on the speaking circuit. It's, it's really, I am so obsessed with ideas. Um, and a lot of people want to ask you how you're going to capitalize on this idea. I'm going to capitalize by the 50 ideas that other people give me. So it's all symbiotic. I share what I do. Other people share what I, they do. So it just becomes this network snowball. Yep. Uh, so, so I don't know what next year will bring, but it keeps on bringing new stuff. And And, and what's really cool is you have an idea. You can actually go to a, a corporation, knock on their door, and you say Google me, and and they'll listen to you. Yeah, yeah. So that's what it's all about.
0: I, I like that. But it also is you are profitable on that 100 acre experiment because of the yield and the reduced input cost.
1: Exactly. So last year we went up to 6:30, and and, I, and and that day I made this big phone call and I sold a bunch of wheat for 2020. So we're set for a wheat that's priced $2 higher than the market. We're going to try to do 500 acres of it next year.
0: So $6.30, you have $6.30 wheat sold, which right now the average person sitting there saying wheat's having around 4 bucks, and you say, we're going to be just fine. We're going to use manure to make it. And is not even a wheat state per se.
1: Yeah. And we didn't get the week. I was wanting to do it this year. We couldn't. So the market had dropped a dollar so we could roll it to 2020 and we picked up some equity on top of that. So we've got some $7 a week, which is hey, really, people's money.
0: I like, yeah, I mean, we're not in a weak state. Okay. I like what you think, and we're going to bring you back uh, another time because we want to talk more about the manure and the future and your ideas on how you're going to change manure. And that's kind of exciting, but that's, that'll be another time. You've given a lot of, a lot of ideas. Plus, I want to hear about your golf course on the next episode. So we can do this again, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. So I know we can maybe do the next one face to face when I actually run down and check your uh, place out in Gaston, Indiana. His name's Jason Mock. How do they find you? Uh,
1: Jason Mock1 on Twitter. the best way.
0: As M A U C K. Yes. Jason Mock1, the numeral one. On Twitter. Yeah. Okay. And then, uh, he puts videos out of what he does. He's got some interesting stuff going on. He's going to become a, a frequent guest on the business of agriculture podcast. Cause he's got lots to say sometimes it needs a little reined in because he makes me look calm and I'm kind of an ADHD. <laughs> guy. Uh, intercropping is what he calls it or relay cropping. Is there another term for some of the new methods and, and trials you're doing?
1: Uh, I just call it the business constant canopy and, a lot of people have came to me with new ideas and it all, it all boils down to time and space and, and people just think yearly and singularly. And when we start getting animals out there and all that stuff, it's really going to start rolling.
0: All right. That's awesome. Uh, last thought, last idea what you just said. is probably a good last thought, last idea. Anything else?
1: No, I just, uh, I just want t- to tell people, try things on your farm. The more uh, imperfections that you have, the more you learn. Well, obviously they got 3,100
0: acres and 12,000 hogs, but he went and dug up the John Deere 4020 that's uh, been on the farm since 1966 and, uh, and, and brought it out there and, and retrofitted an old planter. Uh, I'm sure the grandpa probably liked that. He saw you taking the cutting torch to an old planter and you said, what the hell are you doing, boy? And uh, I'm going to try some <laughs> new stuff. We're going to interseed and intercrop and relay crop.
1: Never heard of it.
0: So I like what you're doing, man. Uh, thanks for being part of the show. You'll come back and that's that's the best part. Anything else? No do it. All right. Keep up with them. And we're going to have a neat spring, neat summer. So you can watch what he's doing and you can watch this in real time as he posts videos. Like I said, he put a video up. Uh, uh, last year where he spent it was
1: 31 years, by the way,
0: five, five, spent five minutes, uh, talking to a 31 eared, uh, cornstalk. So anyway, his name is Jason Malk, and You're listening to the business of agriculture till next time. Thank you very much. I'm your host, Damian Mason.